beneath the surface. How many of you have been able to kind of track along with the series as we've been working through it? Okay, a few of you. Actually, only about half of you, unless you just don't feel like raising your hands. Um, For those of you that have been tracking through it, I hope that you've been able to take advantage of the resources. And if you haven't, it's not too late to kind of jump into the extra resources that are available that'll really help you get the most out of the series. They have the daily devotional guide, the daily office, which has been just such an encouragement to me as I've engaged with God personally through that. And um, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book has been really helpful to me as well, just to learn a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper. And um, what I've been learning through and processing through with our our small group, our home group, has really been an encouragement to me as well. So I hope that you've been able to take advantage of those resources if you're tracking with the, the series. And if you're not, it's not too late to jump in and um, be a part of that journey as well. But for those of you that have not been able to kind of follow along with the series, let me give you the quick recap of where we've been so far so you can kind of catch up and know where we are today. We started this series, I think, about three weeks ago, and we started our first message with um, the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. We talked about how most of us tend to live our life on the surface, on the tip of the iceberg, without ever really getting to that 90% that lives beneath the surface, the stuff that is the core of who we are and kind of drives who we are. And we talked that week about how we need to kind of merge together emotional health and a contemplative spirituality in order to really grow and mature and to move forward, not only in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with others as well. And then the next week, we talked about know yourself. Know yourself so that you may know God. And we talked about what it means to live life with God, to know God and to be known by God and to live that life out together with him so that, again, you can kind of get beneath the surface into that deeper level of relationship with God. And then last week, we talked about going back to go forward, and we examined our past to discover the imprint that God has left on us, um, and our family has left on us, and um, how all of those things, this imprint of our family and, and our past experience with God has worked together to form who we are today, and we kind of mined out what are some of the, the negative things from those past imprints that we need to heal from, and what are some of the treasures of those past imprints that we can build a foundation on. And now today we're going to be talking about the journey through the wall. Each week gets a little bit harder, a little bit more intense to process. And today this is one of those ones that um, it is a little harder to process. It's not as neat and tidy as we would like it to be. And we're going to be talking about this idea of going through the wall. Now how many of you know what that feeling is to like hit the wall in something? Have any of you ever felt that experience? Yeah, a good number of you have felt that experience of hitting the wall. The hitting the wall is when we are running really hard and then all of a sudden we just, boom, hit something that we feel like, I cannot take another step. And I know that this happens to me often in like just parenting after a full day, like running really hard through the day and then you finally get all of the kids to bed and lights out and house is quiet and I think there's a thousand more things that I should get done now, but I hit the wall and I'm like, I cannot do one more thing. I'm just done for the day. It feels a lot like this image that we have here. We laugh at that because I think all of us can relate to what that feeling is. We know what it feels like to hit the wall where all of a sudden you're just boom, flat out against the wall, licking brick and wondering what on earth do I do to get beyond where I am right now? And that's what we're talking about today, this idea of hitting the wall. And we're talking about it here in this context because the same thing happens to us spiritually as well, not just physically, not just when we're running physically hard, 
but it happens spiritually and emotionally to us too. We're running really hard. We're making good progress. We're doing all the things that we're supposed to do. We're learning all the things that we're supposed to learn. And then all of a sudden, boom, out of the blue, something just smacks us in the face and we realize, huh, we're plastered to the wall and we're not sure how to move beyond where we are. I know this experience has happened to me several times in my life. Sometimes it's been a big event that just happens and other times it's been something that kind of builds up gradually until all of a sudden I realized, boom, I'm done. I've hit the wall and I can't move forward anymore. Pete Scazzaro in his materials just finds the wall this way and this is in your outline in your program guide. If you haven't pulled that out yet, you can follow along. He says, for most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. We question ourselves, God, and the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he's going, how he's going to get us there, or when this will be over. That's what the wall is all about. And there's so many things that can build the wall in our lives. Often it's not just one thing. Sometimes it's a combination of things. But there's so many things that we encounter that can create this wall where we just get stuck spiritually and we don't know how we move forward. For some of us, maybe it's a diagnosis. You go to the doctor and you come away with news that just rocks your world. And you think, I don't know that life will ever quite be the same again. And you don't know where to go from there or what to do from there. For some, I know, struggle with depression. And there's just this cloud that hangs over you. And you feel like, I can't even put one foot in front of the other to make it through the day. I've hit a wall and I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get around it. I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know how to escape it. And I feel like I'm stuck there. I know some of us here have known the pain of divorce and hit a wall there of just feeling like this relationship that I have been invested in is now broken and it's been ripped apart and I'm emotionally spent and I don't know where to go and there's security and identity issues that are all wrapped up in that and we're just stuck there wondering what do I do next. I know for many people right now, job loss is a brick in the wall that we hit sometimes. And the job loss can shake us down to the core of our identity because for many people, our identity is in some ways intertwined with what we do for a living. And so you've lost your job and your identity is called into question and then all those fears of provision and how am I going to provide for my family or make ends meet, you hit a wall and you're not sure where to go next. Infertility was a wall that I hit in my life I had this dream of what life was supposed to look like. And when I hit that wall of infertility, when it wasn't happening the way that I thought that it was supposed to happen, I started questioning, God, where are you? What are you doing in this? Why is this not? I can't control this. You're the only one who can control this. So why is it not working out the way that I thought that it should? And I started questioning and hitting this wall of not knowing how to move forward in my relationship with God because I couldn't answer this question of not understanding what God was up to. And that one kind of fits along with the death of a dream. There could be other dreams that you've had. Maybe you desire to be married and that just has never happened for you. And so you're struggling with this singleness thing, thinking, I, I had this dream that this is what life was going to look like and it's not. And so now I'm trying to figure out, what do I do with that? Maybe there was an accident. And now you define your life in terms of before and after because you're living with a different kind of reality now than you did before. 
and you're stuck at that wall again, not knowing how you're going to move through it. Maybe there was a betrayal in your life. Someone who was supposed to have your back didn't, and you didn't see it coming. And now you're, you're kind of questioning and uh, mistrusting almost every relationship in your life, including the relationship with God. How can this happen? Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe you have a child that you just so desperately want the best for, and you see them making bad choices, and you just don't know which way to turn in order to get beyond it and help them get past it. And you're wondering, what can I do when you feel helpless as you feel like you're watching from the sidelines and yet so desperately don't want to be where you are? I know some of you have dealt with the death of a family member, someone close to you, maybe a a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, even a child. And the grief is so overwhelming that you don't even know how on earth you're going to make it through this day, let alone the next couple of days, weeks, month, year. The grief is just overpowering. Or maybe a break in your wall is just silence from God. I know I've hit that one too. When you hit that time in your life where you don't understand, but all of a sudden it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You may as well not be talking to anyone at all for as much as you're feeling like you're receiving back. And you're wondering, what on earth is going on? This is the wall that builds in our life, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds. And before long, we feel like that man stuck to the wall, and we're saying, I'm stuck here at the wall. And I start questioning, God, what are you doing? I start questioning the church, what's happening? I start questioning myself. I start questioning others, because what has always worked for me in the past isn't working anymore. I'm not making it through the wall. And for me, when I've encountered the wall, it's a big wrestling of faith and doubt, wanting to believe in God, and yet this doubt creeping in of, is God really who he says that he is? Is that who he is? Because my, the reality of me, my experience right now is causing me to call into question what I thought that I knew about who God was, and I'm not sure how to get around that. And there's this tension between faith and doubt as I question the very character of God and who he is and what that means for my life. And how we engage with this wall, how we journey through this wall, how we wrestle with these ideas of faith and doubt is what shapes our growth. What we do with our faith in the midst of our doubt is what shapes our growth. And it's something that we come back to over and over again. And I know if anyone is here facing the wall today, you want me to say, you know what, you're going to go through the wall and then you're going to be able to forget about it and never think of it again. And that's just not true. It shapes the formation, it forms the the foundation of what we believe about who God is, and we come back to it frequently throughout our lives, maybe in different ways and in different forms. But this is why the wall is important, because it's this wrestling process of faith and doubt that will inform the journey that we go on with God and with others. So, little light stuff for you there today, okay? This is what we're going to be talking about today, this wrestling of these questions that we need to ask when we hit the wall. And so we have two questions specifically that we're going to address today of when we hit the wall, what are these questions that I need to wrestle with? And the first one is that my journey through the wall requires me to wrestle with the question of will it be my will or God's will? My will or God's will. And we're going to look today at the story of a guy named Abraham who encountered the wall in a pretty 
big way. He had to wrestle through this whole idea of surrendering my will to God's will in a huge way. So just to give you the quick backstory on Abraham, Abraham was a guy in the Bible who God came to and said, I'm going to make a promise to you. I promise you that I'm going to make a great nation out of you and your descendants. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sands on the seashore, and I'm going to raise up a nation from your family line, and this nation will be a light to the world. It will reflect who I am to the world, and through my blessing to you, you will be a blessing to the world. It's a big promise. That's an amazing promise for a man to receive from God. From your descendants, I am going to be a blessing to the world. I am going to make a reflection of who I am to the world through you. Amazing promise. Even more amazing because at the time that God made this promise to Abraham, Abraham was already getting up there in years, and he had no children. So God's saying, I'm going to make a great nation of your descendants, and yet he's getting older, and there's still no children. Well, God makes this promise, and even more time passes. Years and years continue to pass, and there's still not a child from Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And so Abraham's wife, Sarah, gets a little impatient, and she decides, you know what? I'm going to take matters into my own hands now. If God's going to make good in this promise, he obviously needs a little bit of help, so I'm going to help him out. So I'm going to take my servant, Hagar, give Hagar to Abraham, and then maybe Abraham will have a child through Hagar, and that will be how this descendant line happens. So Abraham goes along with the plan. He sleeps with Hagar. Sure enough, Hagar gets pregnant, has a son named Ishmael. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the reality TV show Sister Wives. I've never watched it, but I've heard of it. It's about that polygamist family. Um, From what I understand, they want you to believe that one man with multiple women can live in harmony together. And I don't really think it's the case. I don't believe that to be true. And it certainly was not true here in Abraham's case. Because Sarah and Hagar... They were not living in harmony together. There was huge tension in their family. There was huge jealousy that was happening in their family, and it was ripping them apart. Abraham is facing this wall of, what do I do with all of this tension? I tried to follow through on this promise that God made to me and help him out a little bit, and he's wrestling through this wall of, what do I do with all of this? And eventually, Hagar gets sent off into the desert with Ishmael, and the family is, is fairly broken that way. Now, God promises that he's going to take care of Hagar and Ishmael as well, and he does, but, but this family has been broken. But in the meantime, Sarah does get pregnant and does have a baby. Now, Sarah, though, is old when she has this baby. When she gets pregnant with this baby, she's got to be close to about 90 years old. And I know I've talked to some people who say, well, that was Bible times. It's different than, uh-uh. No, it wasn't. 90 is 90. And I'm sorry, 90 is old to have a baby. These are, this is a generation when most of the women were having babies in their teens and 20s, okay? So this is old by any standard. This is not just modern day old. This is old. And I have to tell you, I've given birth and I cannot imagine being 90 years old and giving birth to a child. Sarah's got some oomph to her, I have to tell you, because I will be thankful if I make it to 90 to even be able to tie my shoes, let alone give birth to a child and then raise a toddler and an infant, infant and toddler. So Sarah rises to the occasion and she has this baby at 90 years old, and this is a miracle. Like, we have to understand the magnitude of the miracle that this is. And so Abraham and Sarah finally have this descendant that they have been waiting for for the longest time. 
And Isaac is this miracle child, the one through whom God has promised this blessing to the world. Everything that God has promised to Abraham is wrapped up in this one child, and this child begins to become the center of their, their life. And so you're going to say, well, they're just going to live happily ever after now, right? Not so much, because Abraham is still getting ready to face what is arguably his biggest wall ever, because God realizes that, Abraham, that Isaac is creeping into the center of Abraham's life, and he wants to test Abraham's faith to see what is truly the center of Abraham's world. He's going to test his faith and say, I'm going to make you decide. Is it going to be your will or my will? Are you going to surrender to me or not? And this is what happens. Genesis 22, 1 and 2. Later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. He's being very clear, not Ishmael, Take your only son, Isaac, the only son from your wife, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will point out to you. Take your only son who you love so much and sacrifice him on an altar. Now, what on earth is that all about? What kind of God asks a man to do that to his son. It makes no sense. Why would a good God ask a man to do that? If you look into scripture and see what was involved in preparing a sacrifice, it is brutal. If you need some good gory reading leading up to um, Halloween this week, check out Leviticus 1 and it tells you how to prepare a sacrifice. And to think about going through that ritual of cutting apart and preparing a sacrifice for an altar, and to think that Abraham is being asked to do this to his son, it is unthinkable. Why would God ask that of Abraham? Why would he tell him to go do that? And it's because Isaac had become the center of Abraham's world. And God is needing to test Abraham to say, is it going to be my will or your will? This is a wall that God put right up in front of Abraham and said, you need to figure out what is central to your life here. Isaac was the miracle child, the pride and joy of his father, the one who his entire future was pinned on. And you can understand why Isaac had, had become the middle of Abraham's life. And God's saying, it's become an idol for you. Tozer puts it this way in The Pursuit of God. He says, Abraham was old when Isaac was born, old enough to have been his grandfather, and the ch child became at once the delight and idol of his heart. From the moment he first stooped to take his tiny form awkwardly in his arms, he was an eager love slave of his son. God went out of his way to comment on the strength of this affection. And it's not hard to understand. The baby represented everything sacred to his father's heart, the promises of God, the covenants, the hopes of the years, and the long messianic dream. As he watched him grow from babyhood to young manhood, the heart of the old man was knit closer and closer with the life of his son, till at last the relationship bordered upon the perilous. It was then that God stepped in to save both father and son from the consequences of an uncleansed love. So God is asking Abraham to sacrifice the thing that has become paramount to his life, his crowning achievement, 
Why? Because that was becoming his idol, the thing that his life was centering around. And I have to ask myself, what kinds of things in my life have become the center? What has crept in and become the center of my life without maybe even realizing it, that now I'm circling my life around this thing instead of God who really should be the center of my life? What are my Isaacs? What are my idols? And I thought about that this week, and I realized that I've made idols of all kinds of different things. I've made idols out of control, where my security was found in my ability to be smart enough or maybe even just manipulative enough to make life work out the way that I wanted it to work out. I've made idols of things like acceptance, and this was big for me when I was a teenager, where my whole life centered and circled around whatever it took to be accepted by the right people in the right places at the right time because I thought somehow that that was going to be the thing that would give me my value and my significance as a person. And so that's what my life was all focused towards. I've made idols out of things like my dreams. I mentioned the infertility struggle that we went through. I realized that that was an idol that I was dealing with. I had this dream of what life was supposed to look like, and everything in my world for a period of time was just focused on making that one dream become a reality, and God was getting pushed to the side. Even though he should have been the center, he was getting pushed to the side as I pursued this dream and did whatever I could to try to make this dream become a reality. I've even made idols of good things, like religion, I've made idols out of that as I pursued an outward appearance of doing good instead of making room in my life for allowing God to be something good for me. I've had and I continue to have many Isaacs, many idols that kind of creep into the center of who I am. And it's tricky because sometimes they come in so subtly you don't realize that they're there. I challenge you this morning to consider what may be creeping in to the center of your life? What Isaacs maybe are you revolving your world around? When you truly and honestly look at what drives your life, what motivates you to do what you do, what causes you to react the way that you react, what is that thing that's at the center that the rest of your life is beginning to circle around? Maybe for you, your Isaac is security. Like at all costs, you want to have either financial security or relational security. And you realize that everything that you're doing is circling around the pursuit of that one goal. Maybe your idol, your Isaac, is an addiction. Maybe it's a relationship that like Abraham and Isaac is bordering on the perilous. It's becoming the center of all that you do and all that you are instead of having God be that place. Maybe it's, it's pride, maybe it's status, maybe it's reputation. There's a hundred other things that could be the thing that we're centering our life around. But I challenge you to consider what is the thing that's creeping in? When you're at the wall, you're going to be able to identify those things pretty, pretty deeply <laughs> because the wall rocks those things that have taken center place in our lives. And that's why the wall shakes us up so badly, because it calls into question everything that has been central to our existence. All of these things that we have put in the center are now feeling like they're being plucked out of the center, and we, we're left shaken and uneasy, and we're not sure what to do next. The wall is where the core of who we are is called 
into question. Now with Abraham, somewhere in the middle of that sleepless night, which the Bible doesn't say it was a sleepless night, but I have to presume that it was, Abraham makes it through the wall. And he decides that he is going to let God be the center of his life and not Isaac. Now, I wish that my journey through the wall would go as quickly, but honestly, it, it doesn't. <laughs> there is no record of Abraham arguing with God, trying to rationalize with God. There's no record of him delaying or resisting against God. And as a matter of fact, there's no record of him talking to Sarah about this either, but I don't know how that all worked out afterwards. Guess what I did today, honey? <laughs> I was getting ready to sacrifice. Yeah, I can't imagine how that conversation went after the fact. But Abraham doesn't shrink back. He doesn't resist God. In the middle of that night somehow, when God said, go tomorrow and sacrifice your son, and that next morning, somehow Abraham makes it through the wall and says, okay, God, your will. I'm moving you back to center. Not what I want, not what makes sense to me, but what makes sense to you. Like I said, I wish that my process would be as quick and as immediate as Abraham's, but I like to wrestle a little bit more. I don't like to, but I do. I wrestle and I argue and I rationalize and I kick and I scream a little bit. And my journey through the wall isn't as nice as one night. It's more like a temper tantrum that a toddler has, if I'm honest. My daughter Morgan is five now, and when she was a little bit younger, she was prone to temper tantrums frequently as a toddler. And um, she had someone out there giggled. They must know Morgan. Um, <laughs> she would just get into these, I don't know if it's a drama of a girl or what it was, but she would get into these things where something that was seemingly small to us was just absolutely huge in her world. And it would just wreck her world if something didn't go the way that she wanted it to go. And she would get into these temper tantrum fits that were like none other. But you know, as a parent, you can kind of tell the difference between when a child is having an anger fit and when then they cross the line into like a genuine, my world is falling apart thing. And as a parent, you kind of tell when they get there. And I remember this one time when Morgan was having one of her temper things or her tantrums. And I saw as she crossed the line from I'm just angry to my world is falling apart. And I remember looking at her sobbing little body and thinking, I need to do something to intervene because she's not going to get beyond this on her own. And so I picked up her little body and I held her in tight and she was always a very independent one. She's always been that way. And so she never liked it when someone would try to hold her close when she was upset or angry. So she'd always push away and that's what she was doing. And so as this little toddler body, she's pushing away and she's resisting against me. I was like, no, you're going to stay here. I'm going to hold you tight. You're going to stay right here with me. You're going to stay close to me. Whether you like it or not right now, this is where you are. And after a while, she resisted, and after a while, she stopped resisting, and she was just still crying, but she was just calming down a little bit, and eventually she laid her head on my shoulder as she calmed down and kind of came down off the ledge, and eventually she got to that point where she's just doing the <laughs> thing that happens after the cry, and then eventually she actually fell asleep on my shoulder. The resistance was finally done, and she just melted onto my chest. And I have to say that, for me, those are some of the sweetest moments as a parent when you know that this, this season of rest that comes after a struggle, 
this quiet place of rest that comes after a struggle with your child, and you know that your child is learning that they can lean in on you. Even when they feel like their world is falling apart, your child knows and understands that they can lean in. And even when they resist, they know you're going to hold them tight. And they learn how to trust you on a new level. Well, I think that's what God does for us at the wall. I think that's kind of an image of when we hit the wall of what God wants us to do. He's going to pull us in in the middle of our kicking and our screaming and our resisting and saying, no, I want it my way. I want it this way. This is the way that it's going to make sense for me. God said, no, I'm going to hold you tight right here. And we can continue to resist and resist and resist, or we can calm and learn to bring it down (laughs) and begin to trust that we're going to just melt into the heart of of our Father, into the chest of our Father as we stop kicking and screaming and resisting. And we learn to trust and understand God's heart in a whole new way, even when our world is falling apart, even when the pain still isn't really making any sense to us. We can learn that God is big enough to handle our tantrum. (laughs) He's strong enough to take our resisting And that he's gentle enough to let us just melt into his chest when we're ready to say, okay, I give up. I'm surrendering wholly to you. This relinquishing of self, this melting into the chest of the Father creates a bond of intimacy between us and God that I believe cannot be forged any other way. There's something about coming through that struggle that just forges a relationship like none other between us and God. And that's what's happening in the story of Abraham and Isaac. God's saying, I need you to wholly surrender to me. I need you to melt into my chest and trust me that I'm going to hold you tight. And Abraham does. Abraham follows through. Abraham is ready to plunge that knife into his child. And I have to be honest, I can't imagine being in that place. I struggle with believing that I could ever be that wholly surrendered, that I would be ready to do that. But Abraham got there. And then this is what happens next in 22.12. God intervenes. He says, lay down the knife, the angel said. Do not hurt the boy in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld even your beloved son from me. God rescues both Isaac and Abraham at that altar. In Hebrews 11, it tells us that Abraham thought that God was going to bring Isaac back from the dead. That's what Abraham thought was going to happen when he was ready to put that knife into his son. He thought that God was going to bring Isaac back from the dead. He was wrong about God's methods, but he was right about God's heart. God rescued them both there. God rescues Isaac physically, but he rescues Abraham as well because now Abraham is wholly surrendered to God. What he had always perceived as mine will never have the same meaning for him before. He's been able to release and relinquish control to God in a way that he would have never been able to do before. It means that nothing in this world will ever have the same hold on him ever again. I believe that Abraham's life was forever changed from that moment of wrestling through that season, that day of wrestling through and saying, God, I'm going to be wholly surrendered to you. It was a rescue 
for Abraham. And I believe the wall, this wrestling process that we go through with God can be a rescue for us as well if we let it because it can teach us how to be wholly surrendered to God. Now the journey through this wall doesn't mean that you're going to end up with all of the answers. It doesn't mean that at the end you're going to have it all figured out and you're going to make sense and put everything into nice neat little boxes where everything belongs. It's messier than that. But I do believe that the journey through the wall will give us a confidence in the character of God that we have never had before to be able to say, not mine, not mine, but yours, God. It's a wrestling through. Is it going to be my will or your will? It's what we need to encounter at the wall. Another thing that we need to wrestle with at the wall and the question we need to wrestle with at the wall is will I live in the tip of the iceberg or will I dive beneath? Live on the tip of the iceberg or will I dive beneath? Now we hit this wall and some of us, maybe many of us, maybe even most of us can get stuck at the wall. We hit the wall and we don't know what to do with it. Some hit the wall and are just standing there kind of stunned like I don't know what to do and they get stuck there. Some hit the wall and try to retreat away from it and do the la, 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 there's no wall. I can't see a wall. I don't hear a wall. There's no wall in front of me. And they kind of live in that mode for sometimes a long time. They don't know what to do with it. And sometimes they get stuck there. Sometimes we get stuck there. And we end up wandering around in front of the wall, wanting to believe that there's something deeper, but somehow not being able to get our hands on it. And sadly, we just end up circling in front of the wall and eventually almost get discouraged into believing, I guess this is all that life is. I guess there isn't really anything more or anything deeper because we've not made the choice to wrestle through the hard stuff that will cause us to dive beneath. It's hard work. I encourage you, don't let yourself get stuck at the wall and settle for this is just what it must be. There's something deeper. We can choose to live in front of the wall or we can choose to do the work to dive beneath. And that allows us to have this deeper connection with God and with other people. In his materials, Pete Scazzaro um, talks about these stages of faith. And that graphic is there in your outline. It's up here on the screen as well. And he talks about these first three stages of faith that are really lived on kind of the tip of the iceberg. These are kind of the, the... the surface level things, and then we hit the wall. And if we make it through the wall, we're able to go in this journey inward that actually allows us to live beneath the surface, and we find this richness that comes in a life with God beyond that. He does a really good job of explaining this in his um, small group clip for this week. And so if you're in a home group, you're going to be able to get a little preview this morning of what you're going to be seeing and talking about in your home group this week. But let's take a look at how Pete Scazzaro talks about these stages of faith and this journey through the wall and what we can learn through that. So let's take a look. Throughout church history, great men and women have written about the phases of this journey to help us understand the larger picture or the map of what God is doing in our lives. The following is one model that describes the essential place of the wall in our journeys. Now you'll notice that each stage builds naturally upon the other. In the physical world, babies must grow into young children and then into teenagers and become adult men and women. In a similar way, spiritually, each stage builds on the ones that go before it. 
An important difference, however, is that we can stagnate very easily at a certain stage and choose not to move forward in our journeys with Christ. We can refuse to trust God into this unknown, mysterious place. So let's take a look at at these stages. You'll notice in stage one, it's called life-changing awareness of God. This stage, whether in childhood or adulthood, is the beginning of our journey with Christ as we become aware of His reality. We realize our need for mercy and begin our relationship with Him. And then we move to stage two, called discipleship. This stage is characterized by learning about God and what it means to be a follower of Christ. We become part of a Christian community and begin to get rooted in the disciplines of the faith. Stage three is called the active life. This is described as the doing stage. We get involved actively working for God, serving Him and His people. We take responsibility by bringing our unique talents and gifts to serve Christ and others. But then there's stage four. You'll notice the wall and the journey inward. Notice the wall and inward journey are closely related. The wall drives us into an inward look, an inward journey. In some cases, people feel compelled to move into an inward journey that eventually leads them to the wall. It has rightly been said that perhaps 85% of evangelicals do not get through the wall because often our image of God doesn't allow for such a difficult experience. Then you'll notice stage five, the journey outward. You see, having passed through the crises of faith and the intense inner journey work necessary to go through the wall, we begin once again to move outward to do for God. We may do some of the same active external things we did before, like give leadership and serve and initiate acts of mercy toward others, but the difference is that now we give out of a new, grounded center of ourselves in God. Stage six is called transformed by love. That's God's goal in the language of John Wesley, is that we be made perfect in love, that Christ's love becomes our love both towards God and others. We realize finally that love is the beginning and the end. By this stage, the perfect love of God has driven out all fear, and the whole of our spiritual lives is finally about surrender and obedience to God's perfect will. For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire perhaps to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. At the wall, we question ourselves, God, the church, we discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what He's doing, where He's going, and how He's going to get us there or when this will be over. On a certain level, it's correct to say that walls come to us in various ways throughout our lifetimes. It's not simply a one-time event that we pass through and get beyond. It appears to be something we return to as part of our ongoing relationship with God. We see this, for example, in Abraham, waiting at the wall for 25 years for his first child with his wife, Sarah, to be born. Then 10 to 13 years later, God leads him to another wall, the sacrificing of that long-awaited son he loved, Isaac, on an altar. Regardless of how we get there, every follower of Jesus at some point will confront the wall. The best way to understand the dynamics of the wall is to examine the classic work of St. John of the Cross. 
Dark Night of the Soul, he wrote, written 500 years ago. And he describes the journey in three phases, beginners, progressives, and perfects. To move out of the beginning stage, he wrote, required the receiving of God's gift of the dark night or the wall. This is the ordinary way, he says, that we grow in Christ. A failure to understand this is one of the major reasons many start out well in their journeys with Christ but do not finish. How do we know we're in the dark night? Well, our good feelings of God's presence evaporate. We feel the door of heaven has been shut as we pray. Darkness and helplessness and weariness, a sense of failure or defeat, barrenness, emptiness, dryness descends upon us. The Christian disciplines that have served us up to this point no longer seem to work. We can't see what God is doing, and we see little visible truth in our lives. This is God's way of rewiring and purging our affections and passions. He does this so we might delight in His love and enter into a rich, full communion with Him. God wants to communicate to us His true sweetness and love. He longs that we might know His true peace and rest. He wants to free us from unhealthy attachments and idolatries of the world. He longs for an intimate, passionate love relationship with us. God desires that His will truly be our will. Failure to understand and surrender to God's working in us at the wall often results in great long-term pain and confusion. Receiving the gift of God in the wall, however, this transforms our lives forever. Let you know that Pete Scazzaro will be here on November 18th. And if you want to learn a little bit more and um, just learn how to implement this a little bit more or learn a little bit more so you can continue that development process through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this would be a great conference for you to attend. November 18th is a Friday, so I understand that will require some people to take some time off work, but I really think it will be time well spent. Uh, the cost is only $15 for the day, and that includes the workbook and the, the daily devotional. So if you've already purchased those, you actually only owe $5 for the day. So it's a great deal. It includes lunch, the whole nine yards. You can get more information about it at um, Ministry Central after the service today if you want. But I encourage you to consider um, maybe coming on out to see Pete Scazzaro to learn a little bit more so you can continue your emotionally healthy journey. But in this clip that we just listened to, Pete talks about like this journey through the wall and what it means to get into this journey inward. And unfortunately, what you didn't hear him say is that, hey, here's the magic formula that's going to make all of this work. And the reason you didn't hear him say that is because there is no magic formula that makes it all work. There aren't three easy steps and four easy payments, and then you can get this thing all figured out and be on the other side of the wall and merrily on your way. However, there are three things that I want to just draw your attention to that may help you in your journey to get beneath, to go beneath. One is awareness. Recognize that you've hit a wall. You're never going to get beneath or beyond the wall if you aren't aware that you've hit a wall. Some walls are really obvious to us and others aren't so much. So be aware for when you have those times when you feel like faith isn't working or you feel like you're just stuck and not moving forward. Recognize that maybe this is a wall that you're hitting and be aware of your brokenness and your hurts in the middle of that so that you can be aware of your need for healing. Another way to dive beneath the surface is to kind of get your arms around forgiveness in a new level. 
I love that the great distinctive of Christianity, the thing that sets Christianity apart from any other world religion, hands down, is this idea of grace, love and forgiveness with no strings attached. And as we dive beneath, we need to get a hold of this forgiveness piece, understanding the forgiveness that God offers to us that we receive from God, but then also being able to extend that same forgiveness to the people in our lives as well. We won't get beneath the surface if we don't get our hands around that. And also acceptance. That's another key component to help you get beneath is to accept who I am. Get rid of the illusion of who I think that I should be and accept who I really am. Accept my limits. Accept my brokenness. Accept the fact that life isn't perfect and isn't ever going to be. Accept that so that you can then use those those pieces of brokenness in your life, those wounds to draw you into the next stage of your life, to draw you into healing in this journey beneath the surface so that you can find this deeper relationship with God. You know, sooner or later, we will all hit a wall. I'm guessing that probably a good number of us, if not the majority of us in this room today, can already identify, yep, this is a time in my life when I've hit the wall. If you can't identify one of those, buckle up because it's coming. I promise you. It will be coming at some point or another, and it's what we do at the wall. Our journey to go through it or to walk away from it is going to be what defines the rest of our relationship in our spiritual walk. And I wish that I could tell you that if you journey through this wall, you're going to have this neat little package all tied up. You're going to be able to carry God around in a box after this, and everything's going to make sense from here on after, but it's just not true. As Pete said, the journey through the wall will often land you with more questions than answers at the end. It's messy. But I do know that as you journey through the wall, and I know what's been true from my experience, when you journey through the wall, you end up with a deeper level of connection with God and with others because you start to understand on a deeper level who God is. Even when you can't understand what he's doing or what's happening in this world, you get this deeper sense of who he is and the ability to trust his character. We may never know or understand the end of the story. We may not ever see the big picture, and that was true for Abraham. Abraham didn't see the entirety of God's promise fulfilled in his lifetime. In Hebrews 11, we call this the the faith chapter, the hall of faith. And it talks about all these heroes of the faith, many of whom never saw the complete fulfillment of God's promises to them. God made good in his promise, but they didn't always see the fulfillment because this is a marathon and not just a sprint through it. But this is what it says in Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. All of these people, and this includes Abraham in this, All these people we have mentioned received God's approval because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. They received parts of this gift, but not the whole picture. For God had far better things in mind for us that would also benefit them. For they can't receive the prize at the end of the race until we finish the race. You see, the race has to be finished before we can get the prize. And that's what this process of working through the wall is all about, working through this process, kind of continuing this journey through the wall. And as we work through this journey through the wall, I think there are some gifts that we receive. I know there are some some things that have been true for me, the, the fullness and the richness and the depth that comes on the other side of the wall. And one of those gifts is a greater level of humility, of being a little less judgmental, not quite so sure of myself as I was before, 
because I realize my own brokenness, my own tendency to get off track, and it makes me a little more compassionate to the people around me. Another gift of the wall is a greater ability to wait, and sometimes that's because the only thing you can do at the wall is to wait. And so you get this greater level of patience and a greater understanding that waiting time doesn't have to be wasted time. Waiting time isn't always wasted time. Waiting time can be character development time if we let it. That's a gift of the wall. Another gift of the wall is a greater detachment, understanding that there is a bigger picture. And I detach myself from this world just a little bit. My, my grip on this world loosens just a little bit because I understand that there is a bigger picture at play and that I might not have the whole perspective. And so I don't hold quite as tightly to the things that I have here and now because I understand that there is a bigger picture. But perhaps for me, the greatest gift of the wall has been a greater appreciation for the mystery of who God is, the mystery of God's holiness and understanding that God cannot be figured out. I'm learning that the more I learn about God, the less that I really know about God. (laughs) That's a nice little ringtone. I like that. But the more that I learn about God, the more I realize that I, I don't know about God. There's so much. And I think sometimes we try to fit God into our box and we get frustrated because either we fit God into our box and then we're left holding this box that we think contains God and we realize this isn't much of a God at all because he's too small. He fits into this box. <laughs> or we get frustrated because we're constantly trying to stuff God into the box and he just won't fit. There is a mystery to God that we will never fully understand. God is bigger than us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And this mystery of the holiness of a good God that can be trusted even when life doesn't make sense to us is a huge gift to be able to understand that. The wall reminds us that there's so much that we don't understand, and it's a good thing to understand that we don't understand because it causes us to search for something that's bigger in our lives, something that's bigger that makes sense out of life, something bigger than ourselves. It causes us to go beneath the surface to the foundation of what life is truly all about. And I know that there are some of you here today that are facing a wall. And as a communicator, I wish that I would be able to give you that little package of here's the six steps that you can go home and work through today and then life will be better. But this is one that's left a little untidy at the end because I don't have an answer to give you. Everyone works through their wall uniquely. God works uniquely in your life. There isn't one answer that I can say, do this, and then you're going to make it to the other side. It simply doesn't work that way. But I can encourage you today to look for a glimpse of who God is, to know that there is a God who exists behind this wall. You know that old analogy that the sun shines even above the clouds? God is there, even on the other side of the wall, even when you can't see through the wall, there is a God that is there, and he wants to hold you close and hold you tight, even through your kicking and your screaming as you try to make it through this wall. And he wants you to be able to ultimately melt into his chest. He wants you to see who he is. He wants you to be able to learn how to trust his character and know that he is who he says that he is. There is a God that is not only on the other side of the wall, but is on this side of the wall as well. 
And he wants to meet you there and help you pull you through that wall and make you wholly surrendered to him so that you can melt into his chest and not understand all of the answers, but understand the character that he is good and learn how to lean on him even when life makes no sense. There's a great song by a group called Addison Road. It's called What Do I Know of Holy? And I want us to listen to that this morning because I think it must have been written by someone who faced a wall and is working their way through the wall and is trying to figure out the mystery of who God is and yet understanding the precious nature of the character of our God. So in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then after the song, I just want you, or after the prayer, I want you to listen to the song and just take in the words and try to forget what you think you know about who God is, and just listen for a whisper this morning of who God might be trying to say to you this morning that he is. Listen for the mystery of God today. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you teach me to trust you even during the times that I don't understand what you're doing or where you're going. God, help me to surrender to surrender wholly to you and not turn into myself out of fear when the storms hit, when I'm against the wall. God, I confess that sometimes I get so consumed by the storm and what's raging in front of me that I can't even see two feet in front of myself. But God, it's in that time that I need you to be the center of my life. I need you to be my rest my peace. I need to melt into the chest of my Father. Thank you for being a God who's strong enough to manage my tantrums, (laughs) to manage my resistance so that I can melt into you. Open my eyes so that I can see and feel your presence and know that I'm safe with you. God, please strip me of my pride that tells me that I can figure you out, that I can know all about your holiness. Let me know who you are to me. Let me know your presence within me, around me, above me, and below me. God, give me the grace to follow you into the unknown, into my next step in my journey with you, even if that means it's a journey through the wall. Thank you for being a God of holiness, a God of mystery, a God of grace. Amen. A thousand times I've tried to hear from heaven But I talk the whole time I think I made you too small I've never feared you at all, no If you touched my face Would I know you? Looked into my eyes, could I behold you? What do I know of you who spoke me into motion? Where have I even stood but the shore along your ocean? Are you fire? Are you fury? Are you
Holy. 